I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Spread. explain how I'm here without spoiling everything. Let's just say Glenn Morgan, who originally created The Lone Gunman, has come up with an amazing, brilliant way that brings Langley back from the dead. Does anyone ever die in science fiction? Is Langley alive? Lone Gunman Langley? You and I buried him in Arlington along with Byers and Froehicke. You didn't answer my question. Normally the gunman came in, hack into something, go Mulder, here's the access code to that top secret facility he'd run in, beat up some aliens, save the day. This time, it's all about Mulder and Scully finding Langley. What are we looking for, Mulder? Knowing Langley breadcrumbs. Oh, his birthday is wrong. Do grave diggers work at night? this happening? How am I back? We're old friends of Richard Langley. We received a message. You should go. They're watching. Who's watching? Langley's state of mind now is, well, it's confusion for sure. Langley? It's Mulder and Scully. Dana? Dana Scully? Yeah. Am I dead? I'm thrilled to be here, reviving Langley. Back from the dead? Am I dead? That's the whole question of the episode, isn't it? Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today, I mark one off the old bucket list. I am speaking to one of the nicest actors out there about his recent appearance on last week's brand new episode of The X-Files. You know him as the long-haired, bespectacled conspiracy theorist hacker, Richard Ringo Langley. That's right, I'm talking to Dean Hagland. We talk all about his return to the show, his thoughts on UFOs, and we even discuss the future for the X-Files and the Lone Gunman. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dean Hagland. 
one of the most memorable X-Files, I should say some of the most memorable X-Files episodes, came in the form of the Lone Gunman. Everyone knows it. Everyone agrees. I'm sure for the most part. So, you know, every week we waited to see if they'd show up to help Mulder and Scully in their pursuits. And the same could be said for the current season. And today we have one of the gunmen here to discuss his episode this past week. And that is Langley himself, Dean Hagland. Dean, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely. I know we're almost a day apart time zone wise. So, uh, and I know you're probably getting barraged. So thank you for taking the time to do this. (laughs) My pleasure. Well, I mean, a lot of feedback the, the, your episode is aired. That episode was Mm -hmm. titled this. Um, we will definitely get into that. A lot of feedback and it's been very positive. This is the X-Files back in true form in many ways. And that included your character making a very unique return. So before we get into the episode itself, I'd absolutely love to just maybe hear how the experience was finding out that you were coming back again, man. I know we saw you briefly in season 10. We can definitely touch on that. But this was you, man. This was just you. So I'd love to hear what you thought about when you read this new script. Well, you know, it was um, even before I read it, I was told that Glenn Morgan was back. And of course, James Wong and Glenn Morgan created The Lone Gunman. Uh, the Ramon shirt, all of that was in the very first script back in season one. So I knew that not only would it be cool, but he has a handle on the whole Langley character and the gunman because they created it, right? So it was going to be fantastic. But of course, the question always is, really? How, how are we going to come <laughs> back this time? That's why it's like, uh, there was, uh, you know, I couldn't wrap my head like, how was he going to do it? So I was excited to read it, just like everyone was excited to, to see it. And um, of course, it was brilliant. And Glenn has always had uh, such a uh, wide variety of interests. And, uh, you know, his library in his writing office was always filled with so many different subjects, you know, like the ancient rituals of Mithra and, uh, you know, how 22 laws of branding, like all of these uh, crazy things. So it was really cool then to see that he was up on the quantum computing D-wave whole brain emulation, as it's known, uh, where you can, there's services now that you can apparently upload your personality onto a server, onto the cloud, so that an avatar can continue (laughs) living being you in an artificial intelligent kind of way long after you're dead. So Wow, that that uh, is insane to think that we're at that point. I mean, we look at like Twitter, Facebook as almost an avatar, but this is like multiplied by a million. So that's Exactly. Gosh. And so yeah, so so it it's uh yeah, the actual services that they're they're out there, mm-hmm. uh, as we talked, we're providing you you pay to get your personality somehow emulate it by an artificial intelligent system and then that emulation then continues on your social media platforms right so even after you're dead you could still be theoretically posting on facebook and instagram and all that sort of thing oh wow that, <laughs> i know right i don't even i, so, yeah, I don't even know how to so comment that it's, that. I, I know right so that it's not that big a jump to go well if you have that done voluntarily could you have that done involuntarily and then your genius is then, you know, mined and utilized for nefarious means. Well, you know, how cool is that? That is pretty cool. I mean, well, then let's kind of dive into that, Dean. I mean, you know, spoiler alert from here on out, if anyone <laughs> yeah, hasn't right? seen the episode yet. But, um, 
your return to the show this season was much, much more prevalent than season the season 10 miniseries. So let's right. go through this, if we could. If you could maybe just give us a primer on uh, how they brought you back, how this differs from what we saw in the comic books by Joe Harris, um, which was oh, yeah. ingenious. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what did, what did Glenn Morgan decide to do with this one? This was pretty awesome. It was awesome. So the idea that then Langley, along with theoretically, I say, Steve Jobs and and uh, all of these other geniuses after they die are uploaded into a cloud server that is like, uh, you know, in the monologue, I say it's like a heaven I designed, but including my friends who are New England Patriot fans are quite pissed so, <laughs> for that joke. That was Glenn Morgan, by the way. I, that was great. I, yeah, yeah. So, so we create this world or we're, we're trapped basically in this world and I manage a way to hack back to real world into Mulder's phone to tell him to try shut down the server. But of course there's a backup uh, spoiler alert. You don't have to watch it to the end though. Yeah. So, so that leaves that open too. So, you know, there is uh, now theoretically a sinister virtual world uh, that's worse than the syndicate of the X-Files of old, you know? So, so this idea of layers, you know, the, the whole thing with the X-Files was there's always layer upon layer of conspiracy and and uh, all these different shadowy characters that would come up from time to time that would, you know, have this ability to keep going deeper and deeper. And so Glenn just added a new layer, this virtual world that seems even more crazy and dark than anything that we'd seen previously. Absolutely. And what I thought was really interesting is, you know, we we sort of got used to this with the season 10 is that the episodes in between are sandwiched by Carter's, you know, mythology. What I thought was really interesting is that this, what we all as viewers, not knowing like you did what was coming next for episode two, is that this does tie into the mythology pretty interestingly. And uh, I'm sure this isn't the end we're going to see of... uh, sort of what Glenn Morgan was going for with this. So um, I guess my question would be, what do you think of the whole shift in the X-Files? You know, we, we've had over a decade since the show, you know, left the air, and now we have this entire new conspiracy that's, mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, how do you personally feel about where the show has headed? And wh- yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think I like it, actually, and I, I think it was necessary for the natural growth of the show. I think there's going to be a a lot of potential for exploration, too, which Chris has always said, you know, there's there's more more stuff than ever that's relevant to the X-Files. So I think, you know, even though there was the thank you fans and everything at the end, that Easter Easter egg at the end of the the first Mm -hmm. episode of season 11, I sort of made it sound like it was all over. And Jillian said she's out, too. But she said that before Uh, that. You know, I think this new layer uh, is really a fascinating way to go, and uh, it seems rich for for potential exploration. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we we could literally go anywhere at this point. Which which you're yeah. right. Uh, the X Files has always been very ambiguous in terms of like what the rules are. It's a show that sort of broke those boundaries time and time yeah. again. That goes with the the lone gunman as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's. It's fascinating, and I think it's exciting for viewers who have been following it for for so long to be like, oh, you know, yeah, we do live in a new yeah. generation. Some people don't know the previous X-Files, so yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah, pretty interesting in terms of. I like it. Yeah, yeah, me too, man. I I, I was so <laughs> excited to see where it was going. So you know, one X file to another, uh, <laughs> approved yeah. for whatever that's exactly. worth. Um, totally. Well, how I have to ask, how was it, you know, being in Australia and having to fly back twice now for the revivals of this show? How how is the filming process been? I know it was probably different for season ten and this new one. Um, yeah, how was that, man? Stepping back into those shoes, into those classes. Oh, it was yeah. great, actually. Yeah, like riding a bike. Really, mm-hmm. you never forget. The season ten was a little more fun because it was the three of us. David, Mitch, everybody was there. A lot of the same crew and all of that. Uh, for this one, because I'm all on the phone, it was uh, it was Glenn, the special effects guy, and maybe three crew members. And it was first thing in the morning, 6 a.m. So I got up at 4.30 in the morning. My ride was there at 5. And then hair and makeup. And then 6 a.m., we start shooting. Wow. <laughs> and so all of that you see, yeah, is like in a small room before a lot of the crew. I didn't see David or Jillian at all because their call time was 830. And I was done by pretty much 645, I guess. Ooh, Shot that's a professional thing. right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that was always the thing. We were particularly the gunmen. We were often, you know, last on the call sheet. After they have done UFOs and alien blood and, you know, all sorts of special effects, the last thing they wanted us to do was to sit there and not know our lines or screw around or anything like that. So so for the sake of the crew, over the 10 years of shooting the X-Files, Bruce and I would always make sure we had our lines down, word perfect, uh, ready to go from take one. You know, just because you saw how dog-tired these, you know crew of 200 would be after you know staying up all night and the the production values were so huge back in the day and so because i was so used to that i came to set uh knew all my lines word perfect way to you know uh, everybody was like oh yeah i think we got everything oh, that, that was fast well that's a wrap on dean everyone Let's fix it. <laughs> okay well uh, we'll say hi and then i was like well I was going to wait around, but then my driver said, oh, no, I got a, a whole bunch of other people to pick up. So you either <laughs> stay out here all day or I take you back to your hotel now. I'm like, well, I'm not going to stay. What am I going to, you know, it'll just seem weird. Some Puts around, stalker. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> just looking on set. So so I, I left it. Uh, yeah, I was back in my hotel by 730, went back to bed. <laughs> it's like it was all a dream, I can imagine. It was like, yeah. it literally, it was like all a dream. It <laughs> certainly was. It was like, hey, did I just do that? That was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. then saw some old friends in Vancouver and then flew back to Australia. So it went really, uh, really smoothly. Wow. But I know, but it was great. It was like, it. it's always like riding a bike, like the characters, you know, Easy to get into, mm-hmm. and uh, and there was no uh, oh yeah, how do I do this again? It was sort of uh, like fast and dreamlike. Well, I have to ask Dean, how are you? One of those people who all right? So the episode aired, and immediately every website comes out with their their own review. Every viewer has their own opinion. Do you ever follow that stuff online, like as it's happening or the day after? How, how does that work uh, in terms of you as an actor? Well, here's uh, here's something I haven't told anyone yet. I haven't seen the episode yet. Wow. Uh, okay. <laughs> I know. I uh, 
We don't. Uh, our cable package here in Australia doesn't have uh, Fox on it. Okay. So we have to go and dig it up somewhere or download it illegally, which I am uh, not willing to do because mm-hmm. theoretically that's uh, you know biting my own hand that feeds me. Right. So so I got to figure out how to see it. Um, <laughs> so that said, I have my Instagram account that's a little more active than my Facebook. Because uh, Facebook, I just advertise my podcast, the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, mm-hmm. and then some other tidbits here and there, and some of my and my artwork goes up on my Facebook page, my the Dean Haglund page, not Dean Haglund. I was such an early adopter; I just said yes to everyone, and my five thousand friends. Yeah, so that I happens quick. Started. Yeah, I know. Gee whiz, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, so okay. <laughs> and now you feel bad going, oh yeah, I'm unfriending you because I don't know who you are. Well, right. That's, that's rude. So uh, so when those threads come in, they they uh, I'll look at one or two of them, but generally I I find um, reviews start making you self-conscious. And when you become a self-conscious actor, you're kind of wrecking your own ability to act. Because mm-hmm. you, sh- you should really be outside of your head when you're in a scene. You know, you should be in the scene and not in your head going, hey, did I say that? How you have- Am I looking cool at the moment? Right. And if, you- if you're reading reviews, all of that gets into your head, you know. Mm-hmm. Particularly if somebody goes, you suck! And <laughs> forever this like, oh no, I suck. Then you're like full of judgment and self doubt and sh- that sort of shit. So yeah, so I tend not to positive or negative. I tend not to read any of reviews. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's a good way to go about it as well. Um, that's it- the way we were trained in acting school too. We were told never, never uh, read your stuff. Particularly, you know, if you're doing a play, mm-hmm. you got to do that play every night. You read something bad that night, or you read something a bad review during the day that night your performance is totally going to be off because that's going to be rattling around in your head absolutely i mean the organic yeah. process of a play changing night to night i can imagine it you know it's similar to television in some ways even though the some ways, yeah. the episode has been filmed it's immortalized at that point but uh right yeah i think that's a good point yeah either way yeah. well in yeah. terms of looking cool I'd love to ask, I heard you in another interview say that you're filming for this episode. You were literally staring into the lens of the camera the whole time. I can well, imagine as an actor that had to be tough. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, and not just the lens. They put a, a filter over it that was reflecting back at me. So I'm actually staring almost into a mirror saying the lines. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the the you know, in terms of... The self-consciousness. <laughs> There's nothing worse than uh, saying your lines into a mirror. That's the one way you're not supposed to rehearse anything mm-hmm. because then you're only uh, looking back. So I really, you really have to concentrate by blurring and trying to look past that reflection deeper into what you would theorize would be Mulder on the other side of that glass. Right. So you're trying to establish that connection, even though there was no... Uh, there was nobody reading the lines back to me. I was it was basically one long monologue, which is why I could do it all in about forty five minutes because mm-hmm. it was like two or three takes, do it in sections, and and you're out of there. So yeah, so having a, a reflective glass really was a challenge for sure. Because mm-hmm. uh, and you know they said get close. Get, the one direction was get closer to the camera so that light. The they just gave me a um, sort of a light bar frame around my face so i was lit sort of flatly and if i went too far back i would immediately be too dark so i had to be 
forward leaning into a reflective mirror mm-hmm. and get all the lines down, not flub up while staring at yourself. <laughs> so yeah. That's a that's something they don't teach in, in drama school at all. I was just gonna say, yeah, it's like every actor's worst nightmare that they never prepared for. <laughs> well, yeah, that and green screen, right? Like oh, uh yeah. so all these special effects now that you have to just run around a big green room with a couple boxes here and there and and uh some guy chasing you with an X going, That's a dinosaur. Right. This is you know, all of that stuff. So, I mean theater helps for that because often you'll work with a minimalist stage or just a black box, but but when you're supposed to be, you know, scared of a, a giant monster chasing you, that's going to be added later. You really have to depend on your imagination on that one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I have a good friend who uh, was recently in the, I, I won't say the name, but a very large DC property movie. And, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, he's theater trained. And that's how I yeah. I knew him. And I ha- I asked him, I'm like, man, how did, what was the hardest thing about, you know, performing in this, this big budget, you know, superhero movie? And he said exactly that. It's a whole new breed of acting is everything's yeah. green screen now. So they actually teach classes just on how to act with green screen. So it's yeah. interesting. yeah. yeah. And uh, and and you could see it too, where where in particularly earlier versions, I can't remember. There was one movie that it was like a, supposed to have a retro Superman feel to it, but there you saw a lot of the actors getting lost in green screen technology, <laughs> yeah. and it was see, and it's really obvious when it happens. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I mean, stepping away from the filming. Just a little bit, Dean. I'd love to sure. just touch briefly on uh, the audio dramas that you were part of. As a theater-trained actor, I mean, how was that process? How was the experience doing that project? Uh, that was actually really good. I did it in uh, here in Sydney, and uh, so I didn't have any of the other actors with me. There was a, a famous, well, he's, semi, he's a really good voiceover actor here, mm-hmm. but trained in, in London, he was in uh, 39 Steps, mm, that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that long-running play on the West End. The Alfred Hitchcock, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did it as a stage version, but it was a comedy. Right. I don't know if you saw that one. I did. But... I actually worked at it in New York, now that you mention it. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> small, oh, small cool. world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> saw it about yeah, 80 times, come... yep. Brandon was supposed to come from London to the New York one, but they recast him with a New York actor. Yep, that tends to happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he read uh, all the other parts, and then I had uh, a director who was patched in from Vancouver in my headphones, and then we just sort of went, as you do, and, you know, I don't know if you've done any animation, but it's often, okay, line 165, give me three takes, A, B, and C, mm. and mm-hmm. you're rolling. There you go, watch out, watch out. Watch out. Okay, we'll use B. Okay, line 194, uh, A, B, and C, go. And so you have to piecemeal it like that. Right. So so doing the books was kind of uh, disconcerting. But again, because we knew the character so well, and even with Brenda reading, I knew exactly what it would sound like when it was completed. So I really enjoyed the process a lot, actually. Yeah, it was it was very awesome to hear everyone's voices together again. And like you said, everyone was all over the world recording this. So 
props to whoever edited and produced this thing. It was incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a her- Herculean feat for sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, sort of moving away from of all that, Dean, I'd love to talk briefly about uh, your your documentary, Getting Back to UFOs, what we know best here at Somewhere in the Skies. <laughs> right. Your documentary, The Truth is Out There. You spoke to the late Roger Lear, who is someone mm-hmm. we all know in the UFO community, but not many other people might know about. And this guy worked with, you know, removing possible implants from people who claimed abductions. I would love yeah. if you would uh, maybe give us a little, maybe a, just a little about what you think about the whole abduction phenomenon and how it was talking to Roger Lear. Well, Roger and I uh, knew each other uh, before that document. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Entry through Jordan Maxwell. Jordan, I think, advised a couple of the writers on the X-Files on a couple things. And so... I would uh, be going, hey, this is really great script, this X-Files, where are you getting this stuff? And they go, oh, well, you want to meet some of these guys? And, uh, you know, they said, you should meet Jordan Maxwell. You should meet Dr. Roger Lear. So I have lunch with these guys. They're, they're big fans of the show, so they want to talk to me. And then I go, you know, uh, and then I learn about their research and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, Dr. Roger Lear told me the whole origin of how he got into it, too. He didn't believe in UFOs. But there was a MUFON convention near his office one day, and uh, he walked in just to look around, see what, you know, all this was. Mm -hmm. And somebody recognized him, right? Because he was kind of a famous uh, podiatrist. Johnny Carson, Jerry Lewis were all his clients. And they go, oh, hey, you're that podiatrist. Hey, you want to look at these x-rays of this abductee? But he didn't know she was an abductee at the time. So just take a look at these x-rays. Tell us what you think. And he saw between the big toe and the middle toe, uh, or the in the little metal tarsal area, a uh, an object, maybe two millimeters long. Uh, it's sort of a T-shaped thing, and it looks like she stepped on a nail or something. You know, said, uh, "Oh yeah, it looks like there's a, a foreign like piece of metal in there." And um, yeah, that's uh, pretty obvious. Yeah. And then they go, "Yeah, but there's no scar on her foot." I goes, "Well, that's impossible. Something that big." would leave an incision or, you know, even if it's a sliver, you would see where it went in. And he looked at her foot. She took off her shoe there at the MUFON convention and there was no scarring anywhere. And so he couldn't believe that x-ray was of that foot. So he said, come into my office tomorrow. And uh, she comes in and sure enough, looks around 
There's no scarring. There's no evidence of anything of how that thing got in there. So he's done many foot operations before and uh, puts it under general anesthetic and makes an incision. And there inside was this, you know, what he called a little T-shaped thing sort of wrapped in some sort of cheesecloth. And the moment he took the tweezers to remove it, as soon as he touched that thing, she woke up out of anesthetic screaming. I know. And it's never happened before. So he, you know, reapplied and and doubled the anesthesia, put her under again, and then removed uh, that object. And when he took a scalpel that he uses to cut bone, so it's a bone scalpel, when he tries to cut the cheesecloth, the blade breaks. (laughs) At that point, he's now full in. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. He sends it to a lab in San Antonio, I think it was, and the lab report came back that it was of rare and non-terrestrial metals, of all things. Rare earth and non-terrestrial metals. I know. So then, this is like in the 80s, right? So uh, late 80s, early 90s, this happened. So there was a friend of his in San Francisco, and he says, oh, this is it, the smoking gun. This is what we all, we're going to do. And back then it was, the internet was so, yeah, it was just bulletin boards at the time. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a worldwide bulletin board announcement of this findings that you've done, telling this story. And uh, I'll set this whole thing up. It'll take me about 48 hours to coordinate all around the world, and we're going to do this thing. And as this guy in San Francisco is doing this, sure enough, a van pulls up. He's thrown in. Guys, totally men in black, <laughs> black suits. They drive him around San Francisco for eight hours, telling him what your friend found was just silicon. Nothing that was silicon. And because he was driving around uh, for eight hours, he missed all these deadlines for all these bulletin boards. And when he got out, he was so freaked out. He called Dodge Rochelier. He says, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Forget it. And about an hour later, the lab from San Antonio calls and says, Hey, we made a mistake. Uh, is silicon? It's just silicon. That thing you sent us, course, and uh, yeah. yeah, and we're not sending it back either. So he didn't get it back the first one, and uh, and that was that. The, then from then on, he was full in uh, doing this. He said he removed about another twenty-one in his lifetime. Some of them were, you know, just pieces of wood. Some of them were actually just slivers and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, he had become a specialist in removing alien implants. It's fa- it's a fascinating sort of journey that I think someone like Roger Lear went on, finding physical evidence to this yeah. phenomenon. It's something that is very, very rare. It's such a hypothetical uh, topic, phenomenon to begin yeah. with. So to have someone actually looking for hard evidence, uh, all the respect in the world for the late Roger Lear at this point. Yeah. I mean, we all know, you know, sort of, Dean, at this point, that the X-Files did use a lot of uh, actual case material or had people on set, you know, sort of advising in terms of when it came to how the military might have been involved with this or obviously the FBI. Um, right. Did you ever come across anything, I guess, while filming or uh, in the script or even with Lone Gunman in terms of that? If you if like the conspiracy, you know, correlated a little too closely with what you guys were working on. We all know the whole 9-11 thing. Um, no, I know that's a great example. That is yeah, a and great the spin-off. Example. Yeah, absolutely. But but that was just I think that was a weird coincidence. If you're saying that, you know. I've had, like, when I did, uh, when I, I still do stand up, but I was touring a lot 
while the show was on the air. People would come to my comedy shows all around North America. And after the shows, sometimes there'd be like, uh, you know, I work for the FBI. Do you want to come by the office? You know, I went to the San Antonio office and got to sit in the head uh, FBI. Or no, it wasn't San Antonio. It was El Paso. You know, so there's pictures of me in uh, Kevlar vests and wearing <laughs> FBI stuff. And um, and those guys would say, so these stories, particularly, and they would like say in episode stuff like this, where did that information come from? And then I go, well, I don't know. The writers wrote it. Ah, yeah, okay. And I go, why is it close? Well, we can't say. Mm-hmm. So they would never tell me exactly what was correlating so closely, but they were curious enough to actually specify specific examples and specific episodes to go, how did you get that information? So either it is just luck of the writers or, you know, somehow some classified information got onto the airwaves. Right. Well, um, I mean, we recently heard Chris Carter's comments on this, Dean. So I would love to, to know if you have been following this story at all. Uh, the whole no. pe- the Pentagon story here in the United States with this secret UFO program. Uh, oh, have yeah. you been following that, this at all? Uh, no, I haven't. I just heard about it on another uh, podcast. A guy told me about it, that they just, yeah, have admitted that they've been tracking UFOs for years. Yes. Uh, $22 million they've uh, spent on this. And, uh, yeah, and they're all up on it. And, of course, you know, uh, I think of um, Mr. Steve Bassett and the Disclosure Project, the -hmm. idea being that if there's aliens out there trying to contact the human race, this information should not be classified if it's going to, you know, uh, move the evolution of the species forward. It goes beyond the need for secrecy and you know, one country's espionage against another sort of thing. Yeah. Which I agree. Absolutely. It's an interesting sociological thing, I think. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because, you know, as, but as Richard Dolan said, okay, so if the government comes out tomorrow and says, yes, there's aliens and UFOs are real, two things. How did they keep it secret for so long? And how did the press be so complicit in this so richard dolan and i he's in the documentary as well and you know i think specifically is our sociological is our society so fragile that just the sheer realization that aliens are real would that cause us all to collapse and he said absolutely (laughs) we would go completely anarchy crazy i'm like really Hmm. i can't imagine but but he seems to think that this is why all of the secrecy is kept in place because of the fragile nature of the sociological fragility yeah. uh, of the whole system. So I think it's more robust than that. But uh, but he seems to, uh, from his research, you know, and he's a learned PhD. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to argue with him on that one. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I Dolan actually published uh, my book, so I, I do oh, have I do have some of a somewhat of a uh, an allegiance to the man. But uh, I do I would take him to task on that as well, Dean, saying that the entire society would crumble. Um, I mean, as a historian himself, he's probably seen this throughout history: societies mm-hmm. crumbling when things happen and then being rebuilt. Something like this, I do wonder. It would be so paradigm shifting. But again, we always hear that idea that, you know, the world would go on. We got to go to our job the next day, even if we knew there were aliens out there. So it's fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's fascinating. And so and then the, the, this is also the argument of why there's, you know, so many TV shows that have aliens in them is like, oh, we're slowly being broached on the idea that they're one day will walk amongst us. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to be fine with it, just like all these TV shows have been fine with it. You know, that it's not uh, 1950s. We got to zap them with guns and, uh, you know, and War of the Worlds kind of thing. Right. Right. That's a good point, too. Um, yeah. Well, I w- I'm going to sort of put you on the spot here, Dean. I have to ask, okay. you know, as we're sort of wrapping things up, in all of your time with the X-Files and the Lone Gunman, what is the most memorable moment that you can say you had where it was like, this is it. This is why I did all of this for so long. Yeah, you know, uh, it's hard to single one out. It was all so fun. And, you know, there's oddly lots of laughs on set, uh, considering how dark the show was. Yeah, it's uh, it was always like, boy, we're having really a great time. And then when you see it all cut together, it's like, wow, this is this tone is way darker than what fun we were having on set. But, uh, you know, it's really been the fan interaction that uh, has been most memorable. You know, some real close friendships have developed from it. Uh, Being able to go anywhere in the world, literally, like just moving to Sydney and not having, uh, you know, miss a step, as it were, having lots of friends down here. That's been amazing, too. No matter where you go in the world, somebody's going to know you or know about you anyway. But yes, probably the most memorable was... The uh, week we shot the first episode that was just The Lone Gunman, Mm -hmm. because David was shooting some movie down in Los Angeles, and Jillian was going to be stuck in London for two more weeks at the beginning of uh, season five. So they said, well, what do we do? And they go, well, let's do an all Lone Gunman origin episode. So they shot, they wrote Unusual Suspects, and uh, it was just the three of us leading the thing, and we got uh, the big trailer Tom brought his uh, video game system, <laughs> and uh, we sat all. We shared one trailer, so it was like the dorm room I never had. But, yeah, you know, and it was really fun, uh, and that was such a fun episode too. So I'd say that was probably the one that sort of encapsulated how the fun, the hard work for sure. You know, staying up till all hours, watching the sunrise because mm-hmm. uh, you shot all night, and. Uh, and then the satisfaction, too, of uh, having a really great episode come out of it. Oh, my God, man. I mean, I, I can admit, I probably watched it four days ago or something. It's just, oh, it's, is that right? <laughs> it's one that you just always land on when you're, when you're watch, re-watching The X-Files. It's like, you know, I'm, I gotta watch a Darren Morgan one, and then I gotta go back to The Lone Gunman. It's just such yeah. a well-crafted episode. And whenever The X-Files did go back to origin, uh, I thought that was some of the best work they did. So, I know we're gonna yeah. get one for Mr. Skinner coming up soon, so that'll be exciting, but... Um, that will be exciting, yeah. I'm uh, interested to see that one. I am too. Well, in terms of Gillian Anderson, we did point out earlier that she said, this is it for her, man. She is done. I get it. I respect that as a as an actor that she wants to move on. So I have to ask you, do you think this is the end of the X-Files on television? Gosh, you know, maybe in this incarnation, mm-hmm. but uh, it seems that all the writing is trying to frame something so that it can carry on. Now, to say that this is already a plan in, in the works, uh, of course not, because executives at 
Fox, now Disney, now that we're a, technically a Disney product. That's crazy. I guess. <laughs> That's crazy too, right? So Scully is uh, now a, D- a Disney princess. <laughs> I know, right? I know. <laughs> what would that make so, you, I guess? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. With that blonde hair? I love Rapunzel? it. Yep, yep, I yep. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so, yeah, I guess those decisions, like anything, the way we consume entertainment now has changed. The way executives look now at licensing and products, you're looking for product locomotives now. You know this term. Mm-hmm. So you don't look for a movie script. You're looking for a locomotive that can drive the world so that you can hook TV shows, movies, action figures, comic books, so that it can all sit on a platform, right? So that's the DC Universe is that, Star Wars is that, yeah. Harry Potter's that. You have these certain worlds that are created that you then go out of your way to then do multi-level franchising. You know, nobody just makes movies anymore. Right. That's my point. Right. So is the X-Files potentially a product locomotive? I think it is. Uh, Will they want to? And is Chris Carter willing then to have Disney do their product locomotive machine on it? We'll wait and see. But uh, potentially it's there for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what, man? You got my money. Carter, Disney, Fox, whoever, I will keep, I will consume whatever they give me. Um, oh, fantastic. That includes something I know you're working on. You can't talk much about it, Dean, I understand, but you are working on a graphic novel. This is so cool, man. Um, anything you can give us, even just like, you know, when to maybe expect it, what it might be a little bit about. Uh, what do you got for us? Well, let's see. I, I'm, I'm saying May. Okay. It's going to be completed. Now, this has been uh, four years in the works. And, of course, it's uh, gunman-related. However, because of, you know, every time uh, Glenn or Chris writes something, then I have to change up my writing a bit so that, <laughs> you know, so I've gone back and rewrote the thing more than once. So it's going to be cool, and it's going to be alternate timeline, but I'm, I'm writing and drawing it myself. Hence why it's taking so bloody long to get it done. So everybody who contributed on my Kickstarter four years ago, don't worry, it's coming, and I'm going to make it happen. And I have everybody's email address from four years ago. I hope you haven't changed it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure nobody (laughs) has. Well, it'll (laughs) be worth the wait, I have no doubt. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much. um, Well, in terms of uh, the podcast, uh, where can we find the Chopak Hollywood Hour? What is the show about, Dean? Uh, I've been listening for a long time now. Uh, For any of our Uh, listeners who haven't, yeah, please let us know what it's about. Well, (laughs) it's, you know, we talk about movies, but also sociological uh, stuff. Uh, there's always celebrity death in there. We do school closures. Uh, we kind of talk <laughs> about anything. And um, the uh, you can find it at chillpackhollywood.com or we're on Facebook, iTunes, anywhere. You can follow us on our Twitter at Dean and Phil, spell out the word and, because uh, Phil Lairness, who uh, used to have an office beside my production office, and every morning we'd sit around the water cooler yakking about movies or whatever. And our assistant thought it was really fascinating, loved listening in, said, why don't you guys start recording that and just putting it up as a podcast? They were like, well, OK. And that's how that show started. So uh, basically, it's our our water cooler chat of our week. And uh, it's been going on for 11 years now. Absolutely free. I know. 
every Monday for 11 years. Can you imagine? That's insane. I, I, the dedication is just... I'm on, like, episode 39, and I'm like... <laughs> oh, is that right? I've got, like, a noose around my neck, so I respect that <laughs> full-heartedly. And it it takes a love for it to do it for that long, so I'm sure it's it's a pleasure every week. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and Phil and I have, uh, you know, we just produced a new movie called The Lady Killers, which is doing the festivals right now. We're working on other projects, so... It's also we have our production meeting on the air, as it were. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about not just movies we saw, what we're reading, things that uh, are influencing us, stories out there. You know, we're a lot on this uh, the Me Too talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil is a violence prevention specialist who um, uh, has been trained in that. So a lot of the ideas of um, misogyny and stuff like that are discussed. And uh, every Monday, somehow a show magically gets on the air. That's awesome, man. Well, again, loyal listener, so everyone Thank go you. check that out. And as a recent transplant to LA from New York City, I'm always looking uh-huh. for st- I'm always looking for stuff to do. And I heard you've got an installation going on here, man. Yeah. When can we look for that here in LA? Well, this is uh, I had an art show at the Fine Arts Building on Seventh Street in downtown LA okay. uh, of my artwork of when I was in LA, and and when I get back, I give tours. Maybe Ron, you want to go on this tour? It's of the historical vaudeville houses and and movie palaces, oh, uh, yes. the largest collection of them on Broadway, twelve blocks long. And so I do a, a walking tour, hour and a half walking tour of downtown Los Angeles, and all of the uh, really gorgeous movie theaters. I paint it each one of them and put them in a book, wow. uh, which you can get off my website. And that those those pieces of art are now up at a salon in the Eastern Columbia building, right at 9th and Broadway. And if you go to artmeetsarchitecture.com, you can uh, call to get a private uh, viewing. It's by appointment only. So uh, it's on the ninth floor. You have to get past security and all that sort of thing. So if you want to see my artwork, uh, you can, just by going to Art Meets Architecture and uh, call to make an appointment. That's awesome, man. I mean, I literally was walking past the Orpheum, I believe. Uh, yes. Maybe 20 minutes before we started recording. And, you know, all of these beautiful venues are now Urban Outfitters or a Starbucks. <laughs> so to know that you captured them in their prime, in their essence, that's amazing. Yeah. I'll definitely be uh, signing up for that very soon, probably when we hang awesome. up here. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, you know, it's really fascinating. It's kind of hard if you're just walking down Broadway, you got to have people actually, uh, you know, stop and point this stuff out because some of it's so close together, yep. and some of these uh, elements are kind of—it's uh, overwhelming the amount of detail and uh, and stuff to see. So, so uh, when I give a tour, it's, you got to stop, you you frame, you go, okay, I'm pointing your attention across the street to this building now. Everybody, look at this. Here's a great story of what happened here in the twenties or, you know, and then I will carry my iPad and we'll actually have clips from silent films, uh, like the location and then show you the building that it was filmed on, you know, like the, uh, like when Harold Lloyd's hanging from the clock in safety last, Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. famous shot, that building is still on Broadway. The clock is, was a set piece, but the building's there. That's amazing. A frame of reference is always needed. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, so enjoy that. You can go, uh, I think the book's for sale off my Facebook page, too. But uh, definitely at com, you can buy uh, the book 
Uh, my comic book, Why the Lone Gunman Was Cancelled, <laughs> is there in digital form, 8x10s, all of that stuff at deanhaglund.com. Perfect. A very interesting story indeed, Why the Lone Gunman Was Cancelled. So <laughs> definitely check that out too. Um, well, Dean, it, it, this, this past week's episode of The X-Files, it was an indication of where we are, both story-wise and, you know, finding the true essence of The X-Files again. And I can't wait to mm-hmm. see where the show might be heading and uh, in what many consider, maybe, final installment. Who knows? But um, who knows? I'm also super excited to see what you've got going on in and out of The X-Files and Lone Gunman. So, again, thank you for joining me today on some Thank you, Ryan. Exciting news I learned today, the podcast is now available on Spotify. So, if you can, please take a moment to head on over there and subscribe, rate, and review the show. We're also available on all major podcast platforms, and always at the website, somewhereintheskies.com. While at the website, you can also contact me with any guests or topic suggestions, or to order my book, Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach, to an alien phenomenon. The show is on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and on Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. I will see you here next Monday. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Also, the truth is out there. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.